me to Ephesians chapter 6. Good morning to everyone. It's good to be here in this place of worship and good to open up God's word before you. And a special good morning to the mothers in the congregation and joining us from uh, through the call-in is a good to uh, take this time to honor our mothers and remember them in, a, in appreciation and thanksgiving for all that they are and do. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, says this, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. The subject for you this morning is honor your mother. And it comes from this command uh, that is quoted in Ephesians chapter 6 by the Apostle Paul, quoted from the Old Testament law that God gave. And he makes mention that it is the first commandment with a promise. There's a promise, what he means, there's a promise attached to it. That the result of obedience to that commandment is explicitly stated in the giving of the commandment, which is that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, all of the commandments of God are for our good and for our benefit, and they all come with a great result that comes from following them in obedience. God gave his commandments to his people Because he loves his people and because he desires his people to live in love toward God and toward one another. And when we do, we manifest the kingdom of God in this earth. And when we do, we manifest the attributes of God and his presence in us and among us. And they lead to harmony and peace and joy and so many good things in this world. So God's commandments come with great promise, great benefit that comes from obedience to those things. It says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man reaps, that also shall he sow. That what we plant by our actions and our words with those around us leads to the result that we will get from those things. But here in this commandment, it specifically promises God's blessings. A community of People that live with honor toward father and mother will be a community where there is wellness, long life, and blessings. So, honor your mother. Well, what does that word honor mean? I I looked this up so I would understand it. It says to revere, to respect, to treat with deference and submission, and perform relative duties to. There's a lot encompassed in that word honor and what it means to honor father and mother can take on different forms depending on the stage of life that we are at. And we'll spend a little bit of time looking at one particular example in in the Bible of a woman who honored her mother. Now, mothers are 
Uh, a mother is, is someone who takes on a role that I see embodies self-sacrifice and love. And s- someone who is faithful in that role of a mother is in, in many ways by their actions and their life embodying the kind of exhortation that Jesus gave to his disciples. When he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, anyone who has had a mother understands this, and anyone who is a mother understands it all the more in a way beyond even what I can understand. But to be a mother is to deny yourself, to give up of yourself, to give up of your life your energy, your time, sometimes your hopes, sometimes your dreams, your own aspirations, your own well-being, your own comfort, again and again and again. Not in just one heroic act, but in a day after day, moment after moment, continual faithful self-sacrifice for the good of your children. Something worthy of great honor and respect when it is considered. When we're young, honor to our father and mother takes the form of obedience. Uh, When we grow old and we're uh, old enough to take care of ourselves and make our own decisions, honor uh, takes the form of that deference, respect, reverence, and perform relative duties too, which we'll see exemplified in the example that we have. Now, I think it's also important for us to point out that um, being a mother or having a mother isn't always about a blood relationship. There are many who are mothers who have never given birth to children. And many of us, and especially this would be true if you had been adopted or if you'd been in foster care, or in other situations, or perhaps just lost your earthly, natural mother, you recognize that there are women in your life that have in different ways stepped into that role and filled that role. So this isn't just only about that natural connection of blood and the flesh, but it is about something that is also a spiritual relationship. There was one time when Jesus was gathered together with his disciples in a house and he was surrounded and he was teaching them God's word and they were listening to his word and somebody came up to the door and they said, Jesus, your your mother and your brothers are outside. They're waiting for you. They want to speak to you. And Jesus did something very peculiar, perhaps, to us. Uh, Instead of jumping up and running outside, he looked around at those listening to God's word. And he pointed to them and he said, who is my mother and my brothers and my my sisters? He said, those that obey the word of God are my mother and brothers and sisters. And so he recognized that he had, and he was creating on this earth, a spiritual family, a spiritual family, the household of those that love and obey the word of God. And so in the, in the church, in the, in the body of Christ, in the family of God, we treat each other as a family. As brothers and sisters and mothers 
and children to one another. And so those, those roles can transcend the natural bonds of the flesh as well. In fact, Jesus also said in another place, as he called his disciples to come after him, he also recognized that some of them to follow Jesus, especially in that time and that place, and sometimes in, in other places in the world today, it is like this. To follow Jesus meant that they would be despised and rejected by their natural families. He said that you, you may have to leave father and mother and brothers and sisters to come and to follow me. But he promised them something in, in doing that. Uh, it's here in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 28 through 30. He said, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Now how can you how could we possibly understand that? If if a disciple was to leave his own father and mother in order to follow Jesus, Jesus says in this life he will receive a hundred times mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. What else could he be speaking about but the blessings that come from the family of God? So if you are a mother whether in natural relationship or whether you've uh, taken on a role of being like a mother to someone, or if you've had a mother, which truly applies to all of us, then may these uh, lessons be an encouragement to you this day. Um, As you consider that self-denial and that self-sacrifice, It also often, being a mother also often comes with sorrow that comes in that sacrifice. I think of Jesus when just an infant, he was brought, he was brought to the temple and Simeon took him up and blessed him. And he spoke by the spirit of God, words of prophecy of the greatness of this child. Jesus came into the world as a child. And he had a mother, Mary. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, it says, Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, Mary, of course, is the most famous mother of all in the, in the Bible, and there are many great mothers in the Bible. She's the most famous because she gave birth to Jesus himself. And her role as a mother is an example to us of understanding that she understood that God had a calling on the life of her child. A special calling above and beyond uh, any other. But this is true of of all mothers, that their children, God has a purpose for the life of their children. And sometimes that purpose might bring the mother herself to a place of sorrow. Simeon said it would be like a sword to pierce through her own soul, a a sword to pierce into her own heart. As she would see 
her son whom she loved with all her heart. She would see him suffer. She would see him despised and rejected of men. Not something a mother likes to see for their child. She would see him suffer. She would see him die. But what she would not do, what she would not do is prevent him from fulfilling his destiny in this world, but would be there to see him as he accomplished it. It says earlier in Luke, as she's being told all these wonderful things about and and incredible things and sometimes difficult things about what Jesus would be and do in this world. It says this, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This was a confluence of so many incredible things that were foretold of her child. And yet she stored them up in her heart. She laid them there as she awaited to see the fulfillment of these things as they would come. Now, I'd like to turn to the book of Ruth and let this be an example for us of one who honored her mother. Now, as uh, I was saying before, our mother that we are to honor may not always be our natural mother. In this case, it was Ruth's mother-in-law. They were not, uh, according to the flesh, they were not uh, connected. But Ruth married one of uh, her mother, Naomi's sons. And so she was a daughter-in-law. And this tells their story, and it demonstrates the honor that Ruth had for her mother. And I want you to notice in particular three things about Ruth in honoring her mother. One, affection. She had great overflowing affection, appreciation, a a, a tie that bound her to Naomi, which is something that we are to strive for, something that is beautiful and to be adored. Secondly, loyalty. She had a loyalty that bound her to Naomi such that she, even when things got difficult, even when they endured great sorrow, she would not forsake her. But in fact, their sorrow and their loss that they experienced bound them together with a, an affection and loyalty, with a tie that would last throughout the rest of their lives. I'm sure many of you have been through in this life sorrows, difficult things, loss, loss of people that you loved or disappointments of hopes that you had that were that were crushed by the circumstances of life and the events of life. Don't let that drive you away from the people in your life, but may it drive you together that when you have endured sorrows together with somebody, it can bind you together in a loyalty that can endure even those hardships. And then last, uh, uh, Ruth had a care for Naomi such that when Naomi was in need and Ruth was strong enough to provide and to help her, she did so. That is the Perform relative duties too from the definition of honor. 
Ruth saw herself in a position that she had a duty to take care of Naomi when Naomi was destitute and had lost everything and had no one left in this world. Ruth stepped in to care for her. Now let us read from the first chapter of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the, women, the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now here's the setup for this whole story, this beautiful story in the book of Ruth begins with a great loss. Loss upon loss. First, Naomi is taken out of her native land. She's taken out of the land of Judah, from which she was from. And she's brought into a strange land because there's no food. There's famine in in her homeland. She's brought into this strange land with her husband and her two sons. And while she's there in this strange land, her husband dies first. Her sons marry But then within 10 years, both of her sons die and she is left of all of the men in her life. And but she has these two daughters in law, Orpah and Ruth. And what transpires next comes out of this situation of great loss and great tragedy. Then she arose with her daughters in law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Now this is on both sides here. You see a great amount of affection and care and an unselfishness. Naomi is left destitute of her husband and her two sons. And all she's got left in this world by way of her relationships, is these two daughters-in-law, but she does not see any good for them in cleaving unto her at this time. She's lost everything. She even reasons with them, even if I got married and bore sons now, 
by the time they were grown, it, would, it, it, made, it made no sense. She can't provide them anything. She has nothing left to give. But they say, we'll go with you. We'll come with you. And she reasons with them. And she, she reasons with them to return to their homeland. And out of this situation, out of this, uh, this situation of the motherly love that she has for these two girls... And their affection and loyalty towards her comes some of the most beautiful words in the Bible coming from the mouth of Ruth, one of these women. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back under her people and under her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Now in Ruth, and if you know the rest of the story, Ruth would go back with her. And she'd go back with her into the land of Judah. And Ruth would diligently work to be able to provide for the needs of Naomi. She would be with her. She would stick steadfastly to her. As it says here, Naomi realizes at this point that Ruth is steadfastly minded to go with her. In fact, she says, not only death itself is going to part you from me. Now, in Ruth, we can see an example and a demonstration of the kind of affection and loyalty and care that Ruth had for her mother-in-law. That can be an example to you, to us, as we seek to honor our mothers. Consider Consider the continual self-sacrifice and love that mothers show for their children. One story that uh, I'll share with you from my own life that uh, came to my mind in thinking about this. I remember when I was, when I was uh, a little kid, like third grade age, my family had moved uh, to a new town from an old town. And... You might not know about this about me now, but when I was a little kid, I was a very shy kid. I was afraid to talk to, to people I didn't know. And in fact, the idea of going to this new school where I didn't know anybody and walking in, I was, I was terrified. I was just filled with anxiety. I was afraid to go into that place and be surrounded by all these kids I didn't know and teachers that I was scared of. And I was just, I was very anxious. And I remember it was my mother that helped instill in me the courage to be able to get up and go and do that, which I was afraid of. And what she did was every morning before we go to school, she would get up with me extra early And she would sit with me. And what she found is if she sat with me and we read together, 
I would just, I would, I would begin to feel better. And she'd sit and she had these books and we'd read together. And for whatever reason, that helped get me ready in my mind to be able to go and to face the day that was before me. So she'd get up morning after morning, extra early, sit with me, and we'd read. And then I'd go off to school. And, you know, this is just one of, of so many countless ways, little things sometimes, that a mother does to help their children to face life. And she taught me something with that. She taught me that in life, we're going to have things that we're afraid of. But not to run from those things. But a mother is in a position to be able to instill that courage to be able to face the things that we fear because sometimes the things that we fear are the greatest and most blessed opportunities that we'll have in life. That's one of the things that my mother taught to me, one of countless. And so we see demonstrated here in Ruth, an example to us of how we can honor our mothers, both natural and spiritual. Well, let me, let me also give you one more thing as we consider. The Bible also talks about um, another kind of spiritual mother that we have. And it comes from Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4... The Apostle Paul is reasoning with the church about the difference between being under the law and being under grace. You see, he was writing at a time where the law of Moses, the old covenant law, it was still in place. The work of Jesus on the cross had accomplished the fulfillment of that law. And yet there were those that still were desiring to live under it. And it had not in in history, it had not been wiped out yet, as it would be within a few decades after this time that he's writing. And the temple would be destroyed and the sacrifices would be brought to an end and the priesthood would be abolished, and the law would be conclusively done away. But in this time, it was still in existence. It was, as Hebrews said, growing old and ready to vanish away. And even though Christ had come and brought into being grace and truth and the fulfillment of the things of the law, there were those that still desired to live under that old law. That's what he's writing about here. And he calls to their attention here in Galatians chapter four. He calls into attention an Old Testament story that is uh, from Abraham and his children. That is uh, an allegory and a uh, type and shadow of the spiritual reality in the new covenant. Here it is. Galatians chapter four. Verse 21, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? So, so who is he writing to? He's, he's rhetorically writing to those who desire to still be under the law, the old covenant. To not rest in the 
in the liberty that has come in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which has been brought in by the coming of Jesus in the new covenant. He says, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Now, this is a story about Abraham and his two wives. It's also a story about two mothers and what these two mothers symbolize. The two mothers were Agar, who was from uh, Arabia, and she was uh, the bondwoman. She was the servant of Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham. And God had promised to Abraham that by his seed, through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God had promised that he would, by Abraham and his wife Sarah, bring a child into this world that would be a blessing to all nations. And uh, the years went on, and the years went by, and the child didn't come. Sarah was barren. She couldn't bear a child. It was impossible that she would give birth to a child. And so Abraham and Sarah, as uh, we often do uh, in this life, when we grow impatient of the promises of God, we try to, they tried to take it upon themselves. They tried to take it according to their wisdom and their reasoning to bring to pass their purposes for their life according to the flesh rather than waiting on the promises of God. And so Abraham conceived by Agar, and she gave birth to a son, Ishmael. Um, But then, of course, uh, in time, though they had attempted this scheme to be able to bring these things to pass, in time, God fulfilled and brought to pass his promise, and by a miracle, Sarah when she was 90 years old, bore a child, Isaac, in fulfillment of God's promises. He says this, uh, But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Here's what he's drawing from this historical event of Abraham giving birth, uh, his uh, wives giving birth to these two children. He's drawing a parallel with the spiritual reality of the old and the new covenant. Agar, he says, represents... Mount Sinai, that's where the law was given. And he says that corresponds to what he calls Jerusalem, which now is the earthly Jerusalem. And he says they're in bondage with their children. They're in the bondage of the law because they're going about trying to establish their righteousness before God by the works of the law rather than by the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Christ. And he says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Jerusalem, which is above. 
Well, that immediately calls my mind to Revelation chapter 21, where John in a vision is shown by the angel. The angel says, let me show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And then he sees the bride adorned for her husband. And what it is, is it's the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God to the earth, the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. And he says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. See, you have a spiritual mother as well. The heavenly Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, which by the working of Christ, by the power of Christ, gives birth to children, spiritual children in this world. See, it says of Jesus Though he was cut off in the prime of life, he never gave birth to natural children. Yet it says in Isaiah, when it prophesied of his sufferings and the glory which should follow, it says, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. He would have a spiritual offspring in this world that he would give birth to. And it says, Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. For he says, it is written, rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. What is amazing here? What is amazing here is that the child Ishmael that was born, he was born according to the flesh. He was born according to the human design of Abraham and Hagar. By their, by their efforts, they brought to back birth as children. But Sarah was barren. No matter how hard they tried, no matter what they did or what they schemed, Sarah could not give birth to a child. So it was only by the promise, by the power of God. It was by miracle that Isaac was born. And through that, he would foreshadow their later seed, their descendant, Jesus himself, by whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted that born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, saith the scripture, cast out the bond with her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And in saying this, and in calling to mind this allegory, he's talking about the spiritual status and place of the people of God that we are born as children of promise that the heavenly Jerusalem is our spiritual mother that in in effect its manifestation on the earth is the church and so as you consider to honor your earthly mother also honor your spiritual mother with affection with loyalty And with care. Care for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. Have affection for those spiritual things. And loyalty and dedication to her. For consider the blessing and the sacrifice of the bride of Christ in your life as well. And even as Isaac would give birth to... Would... would, be the father of Israel. 
and on and on down. Well, Ruth herself, that famous daughter-in-law, she would also become a famous mother as well. For she gave birth to a child who gave birth to King David. She would be the grandmother of King David, who himself would be the forefather of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. See, motherhood is something that is even more amazing, perhaps, than we even sometimes realize. Because it was in God's plan and God's purpose a means by which he would bring salvation into the world. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. When through sin, the curse came upon the world. And the sin of the the curse particularly affected women in childbearing. It says you shall have pain in childbearing. That it would come, but... That that childbearing would also be a means by which God would bring a deliverer, a savior into this world. For he says that the woman's seed would crush the head of the serpent. That victory and conquering over spiritual evil and over death would come through the seed of the woman that would be brought into the world. And Eve would give birth to a child who would give birth to a child who would give birth to a child who would give birth to Ruth. And then you have David all the way down to Mary who would give birth to Jesus. And Jesus would come into this world. It says, in the, when the fullness of time have come, to be made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that all their lives were subject unto bondage. And by sacrificing himself, laying down his life, he would deliver us from the curse of sin and death and redeem us unto God.